The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations with which they work. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation. Remember your training and fly the airplane. But you knew that. The UCAP gang are still trying to get settled into the routine of their new weekly schedule. And we do take a small pleasure from the fact that we did manage to get this episode out before it became time to record another. Anyways, FAA Administrator Blakey makes some surprising comments on her way out the door. We find a whole flock of affordable airplanes, and we contemplate running away to the circus. All this and more on Uncontrolled Airspace, episode number 46, Budget Birds. Anything else? Uh, no, just happy to be, you know, in some place that's not moving at 70 miles an hour or more. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, I and it's, it not, it's not over with yet. I bet it has. Well, oh, no, of course not. Of course not. Why don't we come back to that in, in a second? But in the meantime, yeah. I will say, welcome, folks, to episode number 46 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Wednesday evening, September 12. Uh, we're hoping that we're going to get back onto a regular schedule here. Um, we used to record on Thursday mornings, and because of all sorts of lifestyle changes, we've moved to an evening thing, and we're trying to settle on Wednesday evenings, and uh, hopefully this will be the beginning of a new series of regular weekly podcasts. Uh, but uh, but things are starting to... Well, are they starting to settle down? Um let me say hi to the folks that are here in the virtual hangar. Um, you know, yeah, things should definitely settle down, Jack. It's, it, that's Dave Higdon. Dave is an aviation photographer and a senior editor at Kit Planes Magazine and also the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine, and he's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. You said something in the show notes about uh, some sort of travel adventure? Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that we'll after come back you, to that later you know, on. introduced everybody. I mean, uh, uh, otherwise, you know, the, you and somebody else might not get introduced for another 15 I'll, minutes. You know I'll, how that goes. Well, There's well, a decent that, chance. That has happened before. There's a decent chance I won't get introduced anyways. I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're the one in charge of that. But, yeah, I know. That's the odd part, isn't it, huh? Well. But, but certainly not wanting to be missed in the introductions is... <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not even drinking any beer here. This is just not See, fair. That's I'm, the problem. I, that's well, that is the problem. Exactly right? what the problem is. Hi, Jeb. That's Jeb Burnside. He's an aviation journalist currently serving. Hi, Jack. Oh, you shouldn't serving, say that. You shouldn't say that. <laughs> serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to Avweb Biz. And he's talking to us from the winter home of the Wing, Ringling Brothers Circus, Sar- right. Sarasota, Florida. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I, I drive. Go there. looking that up. Is that still true? I, yeah, it still is. I mean, you can uh, from from where I live uh, to Sarasota Airport, uh, you just roll up straight up um, uh, US forty one, and there's all kinds of signs to you know Ringling Brothers Museum and and uh, all this kind of stuff. So, cool. is there like a big tent? I haven't seen a big tent. I, there's no in that vicinity of Sarasota. Um, the real estate prices are sufficiently high that no one would pitch a tent. I was wondering, are there like clowns in the Starbucks? You know. People um, drive up to the wall. Only, only when I walk in. Twelve uh, people. You mean other than the usual ones? Is that the <laughs> other than uh, uh, there are no clans in Starbucks unless I'm there. <laughs> oh man, I didn't say that. 
I know. I know. I was, I right was looking. I was looking beating, to find out. Beating you to it. I, that that <laughs> Ringling Brothers Circus thing always stuck in my head as a kid. I don't know why. I just always remember the, the winter home. I thought the idea of having a winter home for a circus was kind of cool. And so, I, well, that's that, you know that's that, that's where kids would run away to. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. Like, like, like Cubby, and uh, run away to the circus. Well, you, if if you didn't know where the circus was, you always knew it was going to be in Sarasota. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you run away to Sarasota. That's right. That's what Jeb's done. He's run away to the circus. I've run away enjoying the circus. That's right. (laughs) So I was looking up online to make sure that I was remembered it correctly, that it was Sarasota, and I discovered another interesting. Apparently, Sarasota was is considered by many to have been the birthplace of the Great Depression here in the United States. Um, Really? Oh, that's so depressing. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, one of the first sort of you know kind of failures of or whatever the things were that were were the symptom of the Great Depression beginning. Um, Sarah, I'll have to go back and look at it more closely. That was on Wikipedia. I was looking at. Anyways, I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a there he is. There he is. A private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. I'm up here in Boston, Massachusetts. So what's going on here, Jeb? How you settling? You getting settled in there in your new home down there? More or less. I mean, I you know I finally got the desktop hooked up. Uh-huh. Um, that was a major achievement. It pretty much fell uh, apart in in transit. Well, it, it it got bounced around. I'm sure you know in the in the back of the truck, but um, the um, the chip actually had come loose from the motherboard. Whoa, that's and always a bad is, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised it even booted, and it did boot. You know, kind of, sorta. And get, you know, get about halfway through the through the boot cycle and it shuts itself down. You know, and it's like, well, this is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to boot, uh, but I can't feel my right side. That's right. Um, so I finally found the the tools and, and the um, energy to uh, peel the case off of it, and found the um, CPU had indeed come unfastened, as it were, from the uh, <clears throat> excuse me from the motherboard. And just, you know, tighten it back down and, you know, made sure everything else was connected and plugged it all back together and it booted right up and I'm talking on it. So I used to worry about you and the technology until I discovered that you're actually a closet geek. And uh, you, you <laughs> built this computer from scratch. You're one of these guys that says, I'm going to buy a motherboard. And uh, I've had this case for two or three years at minimum. And every now and then I break down and, and uh, yank out the motherboard and replace it with new memory and new chips and, and everything else and put the motherboard back in it and maybe a new power supply and and uh, keep the same drives. Every now and then I'll change out a drive or something like that. But it's one of these tall um, ATX cases. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it'll, it'll hold anything. Uh, any, any drives that I acquire, it'll, it'll go in, it will go in it just fine and da-da-da-da-da. So I'll probably hang on to it until I change the, the technology again and it's no longer uh, usable. Well, I'm going to have to talk to you. Hang in there, listeners. We're going to get to airplanes any second now. (laughs) That's right. Um, I'm going to have to talk to you sometime soon because uh, my latest guilty pleasure is I've gotten involved in these uh, online massive multiplayer game things. Uh Uh-huh, sure. And Uh and my my little Macintosh laptop, which is an awesome computer for everyday, you know, kind of writing and online stuff and web development and so forth um, is is struggles a little bit with the fancy 3D graphics. So uh-huh. I'm thinking I'm going to build myself a really hot uh, PC right. with a high-end game uh, graphic card and, and the whole thing. And, uh, which which game? 
Halo 3? Uh, no, actually, it's not so much a game. It's called Second Life. It's more of, a, of an oh, okay. online world. And uh, I've been doing a lot of experimenting with it. And it's uh, there may be a, a business-related project here. But uh, to, to, to kind of bring it back to aviation, although still on computers, I used to uh, <laughs> uh, play an online game called Air Warrior. Oh, yeah. Which, Go, tell us about, about this. About ten years ago, this was on AOL, and it migrated off of AOL when the internet, when this little thing called the internet came came really in, more more fully into being. But um, it was basically a World War II uh, shoot 'em up, and uh, you get a joystick and a, and a decent computer. And this was back in the days of dial-up, um, where. Uh, uh, you compete against not not compete as you know, they kept they kept score, but the idea was basically not to get shot down um, against uh, um, two other teams. I think there was like blue, red, and white, or something like that. And um, um, it was really kind of neat. They had Spitfires and Mustangs and and Folk Wolves and P38s and Messerschmitts and and all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, the 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 flight modeling was fairly fairly primitive, but the uh, armament modeling was was fairly sophisticated. <laughs> so, so if you were up in a Spitfire, for example, uh, that had you know a limited amount of thirty caliber ammunition and a, a very limited amount of of cannon ammunition, and you were trying to take down you know uh, a, a swak uh, a flock of uh, of uh, Messerschmitts, you were probably going to run out of ammo before you got all the Messerschmitts. Mm-hmm. And the punchline, though, is all these air- other airplanes were being flown in real time by other people around the world. Yeah. And you started getting to know people and, and uh, uh, how they flew and how they didn't fly and, and things like that. You could talk back and forth uh, via text. There was no, you know, you didn't have the microphone kind of stuff. And it was just, it was just a lot of fun. I think I was about the only pilot um, uh, who was doing any of that at the time? Um, it didn't didn't do me any good. Right. Um, but now, isn't there? I believe there's a very active community of people who are basically playing flight simulator, or it may not be Microsoft's flight simulator, but there's a flight simulator like program that's multi-user across the internet, uh-huh. and you're actually there, flying. And there are actually people who not only play pilots flying airplanes, but there are people who play air traffic controllers directing all these airplanes. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's gotten very sophisticated, and I have lost track of uh, of the community. Uh, not not just the 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 um, warbird or uh, warbird is not the right word, but uh, the uh, online uh, um, uh, combat pilot community, much less the uh, the hardcore flight simulator community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I see snippets every now and then of what's going on. It's part of a Google search or something like that, but um, uh, it's gotten very sophisticated. Uh, some very high-end equipment, some great graphics. It's, uh, some of the stuff out there is almost indistinguishable from the real thing. Yeah, and uh, uh, I'm sure those guys are having a blast, and I'm sure um, that uh, uh, again, there's just some very, um, uh, very high-end stuff going on there. Yeah, because I, I mean, even like I said, on my machine, it's not really well equipped for 3D graphics. Um, it's surprisingly good. So uh, yeah. Well, you can always, you know, just turn down the resolution a little bit and keep the speed up. Yeah, I've sort of done that. I've kind of taken it down as much as I want to. It's it's yeah. tolerable. Yeah. I found a nice balance. And uh, yeah. Well, on a more mundane level, uh, you moved your real airplane from. Uh, I did finally get my real airplane down, down Florida. Here. How'd that go? Uh, airlined up to uh, airlined out of Sarasota on Saturday morning. Uh, got into the DC area Saturday afternoon on AirTran. Uh, one one flight change. It was it was uh, one of the more painless 
uh, excursions I've had on a on a scheduled airliner in some time. I had basically a row to myself in the back of a uh, these were seven one seven Boeing. So which is a an, nice airplane. It's a nice airplane. It's basically a, a, a warmed over and Boeing eyesed uh, MD eighty. Oh yeah, um, they guppy eyesed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, um, <laughs> what's, what's the old, what's the old saying? If it ain't Boeing, I ain't going <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but it, it's a pity they, 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 uh, they don't build it anymore. Air trans, you know, growth airplane now is the 737, which not a bad airplane, but I like that 717. It's a little more comfortable. Yeah, that's what I rode both ways going to Oshkosh this, and uh, it was a pleasant airplane, although Midwest has them set up real nice. So, uh, yeah, they well fit and finish on Midwest is uh, you know a cut above everybody else. Oh yeah, startlingly big seats. I think I mentioned so that you, before. Uh, yeah. you you got to Banana, you got to DC area Saturday got, got, afternoon. Yeah, went into went into Dallas Saturday afternoon. Um, took a cab ride to my old house, which I still own. Anybody want to buy a house in the Washington DC area? <laughs> let me know. Uh, it's still for sale. The man's um, looking to make a deal. Yeah, it's and uh, um, you know, make me an offer, and we'll talk, and and uh, you too can can own a piece of high priced real estate in the Washington D.C. area. Um, got my car, got one, of, got one of my cars anyway. Um, and um, the next morning, uh, um, got up and kind of rolled out, had some some uh, um, stuff to do, and uh, some errands to run, and things like that. Closing up. You know, tying up, I should say, loose ends and whatnot. Finally, later in the day, got the wheels in the well about five o'clock, and uh, you didn't put depart till the, five. Well, that's okay. You know, put put them on the ground uh, at Sarasota about quarter to ten that night. Mm-hmm. Not shabby. Yeah, well, um, had a headwind. Um, no, it was basically a no wind situation. This was, you know, Gabrielle. The tropical storm was working her way up the up the east coast. And I was going south, and I kind of was, you know, knock wood, hoping I'd get a little bit of a tailwind, <clears throat> excuse me, out of it. Sure. But it basically turned into a no-wind situation the whole the whole way down. Um, I, every now and then I'd pick up maybe five knots, um, but um, um, you know, which I'll take. I, you know, I'd be happy happy for it. But um, never uh, turned down know. any push at any level. No, absolutely not. You know, I don't know. Four plus forty-five from from the Washington D.C. area to the to Sarasota on, uh, uh, and still having three hours of gas on board when you land ain't too shabby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, definitely not. Definitely no. not. If you, I mean, the tanks were probably already full. If you had, they, they were they were topped off before I left. Yeah. W- would you have gotten I don't know better time, better speed if you had like you know put, had less gas in the tanks you know, enough, not, but a less. <clears throat> Not really. The, I mean, do you ever yeah, do that? Do you ever think th- think it through that carefully, or you just fill yeah, them up for safety? I, I just on that kind of a flight, I just fill them up. The the, the um, yes, there is a calculation you can do um, that will compare the weight of the aircraft uh, to the speed you want, and and uh, will tell you how to how much fuel to offload if you want this speed or that speed. And um, at the speeds this airplane, this is a this is just basically a straight banana. It's a 33 series uh, Bonanza Debonair. Um, at the speeds we're flying, these airplanes, um, full fuel or in, 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 uh, or, or empty fuel or, or whatever, is not going to have that much of an impact on your cruise speed. Now, you, you, at least with one individual on board. Uh, 
I can fill the seats and, and throw some bags in the back and, and fill the wing tanks. I have tip tanks, which help me get the gross weight up a little bit, um, and, and fill the fill the main tanks. And, and it'll be dragging its butt. It'll, it'll probably lose three or four knots um, when all things considered. Um, as fuel burns off, it'll it'll start picking up a little bit and and move right along. But when it's just me and and some bags, um, um, you know, yeah, it's not fill, that big fill, of a percentage. Yeah, it, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It really isn't. Uh-huh. I, and I, with with certain certain exceptions involving, uh, you know, I know I've had good weather and I know I've got a short flight or, or something like that, or the fuel is just hideously expensive where I am. I always try to take off with full tanks, mm-hmm. uh, tips and mains. Uh, it, there's no reason not to, and uh, it just it just opens up so many you know options. Coming down Saturday or Sunday night, for example, I'm basically flew all the way to Georgia, uh, and actually into Florida VFR at either 6500 or 8500, and I started playing with the 396 a little bit, and uh, sure enough, there's some weather. Uh, you know your basic air mass thunderstorms that that Amy so eloquently described last week, um, sitting kind of between St. Augustine and Cross Cities, and uh, either had to go around it to the to the east and then to the southwest, or uh, go through it or go around to the to the west. And uh, I chose the former, going continuing south and, and going around the east side of it all, and, and then cutting southwest. Um, actually went through. Uh, uh, the Orlando Bravo, but uh, picked up an IFR en route and, and uh, uh, worked my way through it all. But uh, I, I would have been a lot less uh, sanguine about it all if I had been tied on fuel. Mm-hmm. As I say, as it was, I landed with three hours on board. Yeah. So yeah, um, so that explains know, I, I, why your flight track only appeared for a part of the, the flight. Exactly, exactly right. I looked at that myself also, and it was only really the part of it was only. Uh, uh, that which I was apparently talking with uh, the Orlando Tracon. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- earlier, I'd been talking to uh, Daytona. Was it da- yeah Daytona approach? And uh, they were the ones who actually gave me the IFR clearance. And then later, I was talking to Tampa, and the, the segments in Daytona and Tampa airspace don't show up, but the segment in um, in Orlando does. So I don't know. Go figure. Yeah. So you settled into your temporary but new hangar down there. Or? Uh, no, I don't have the hangar yet. Right now, I'm still on a tie-down. Oh, I thought uh, you well, had a hangar at this, what was I, it, all, all, uh, Arcadia. Arcadia. Yeah, I, I, I haven't just, I just haven't done the paperwork and, and, and stro- stroked the check yet. I've been hemorrhaging cash, uh, just to, you know, again. No kidding. Uh, on on non- non-aviation topics. I've just been hemorrhaging cash here the last few weeks and, uh, um, trying to, trying to, um, inject some sanity into this. Um, so I may leave the tie down. On, I may leave the airplane on tie down for a couple more weeks. Maybe oh, even man. to the end of the month. Thunderstorms, but, uh, hail. Thunderstorms. Well, hail. I, hail. Hail is not the issue down here. The, the thunderstorms are are more showers this time of year. And right now, because the airplane had been sitting out for a couple of weeks and it was already pretty dusty and, and grimy to begin with, it could use a few showers. I see. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, some 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 birds found it, and they were. Uh, I think <laughs> yeah. they had a they had a gastrointestinal problem. I think. <laughs> no, no, no. They just had a convention. 
they had a convention. Well, they found my airplane when it was parked on the ramp at Manassas for a couple of weeks, and uh, um, a little water won't hurt a thing. Let's put it that way. Now, you had, you had all the holes plugged up, so they didn't, like, nest inside or anything, did they? No, actually, uh, you know, they had the, how the cowling plugs in and uh, pitot tube cover on. They had the cabin cover on and all this kind of thing, and I, before I even uh, got in it, um, inspected everything very thoroughly. There was not a hint of straw anywhere under the cowling. Uh, or, or after the fuselage, uh, there were no issues whatsoever. So uh, it, it really was no, a no-brainer. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, I'll go out there, and you know, there'll be uh, uh, you know a couple of nests on the ground under the landing gear, and, and uh, tracks where you know half a dozen birds have walked away, wondering where the hell am I? Uh, but uh, um, <laughs> how did I get here to Florida? You know, but. Uh, <laughs> so, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> But, so your, uh, and your strategy the first time a hurricane comes your way is run away, right? Is top the tanks, um, take off, turn until the little thing on the top of the panel that's called the magnetic compass says in, yeah. and keep going. Yep. Um, that's yep. my strategy. Hopefully that's um, a strategy that will work. I, I, uh, yeah. going, going, going 90 degrees to its path of travel helps a lot. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But no, that, that, that'll, you know, that'll get you out of harm's way. That, that's true. Uh, down here, though, um, going west, there's not a whole lot of land. No, uh, no, and, from, and, from and I've seen I've seen you fly that on floats. It's not a pretty sight. It's it's not pretty. It's not pretty. The sucker's only good for one splash. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not going to get back up on the step again after after you touch it. <laughs> it was a good landing, just not a great landing. That's right. That's right. Um, and going east, you got a little bit of land, but you know, sooner or later, you're going to have to have. Uh, oh yeah, you know, allowing for where you are, you got to get out of the mouth yeah. of the funnel. But yeah. then after so, that, it's so go, going go. north is definitely the big ticket, and uh, um, it, it's I feel, this year I think is probably going to be a bust for hurricanes. Although you know that's a relative term. Um, uh, next year, who knows? You know, yeah. could be could be another ninety uh, could could be another two thousand four. Yeah, yeah, or two thousand five. So Dave, Dave, what was your travel adventure? Oh well, I had uh, a couple of opportunities to uh, fly east and 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 kind of tend to some family business uh, back in my hometown and and uh, because of the way the time became available and the proximity of the time available to when I knew I could go, uh, which was about 24 hours, uh, I booked a f- flight on uh, Southwest Airlines out of Kansas City, uh, Mike Charlie India. And, uh, you know, kind of swallowed hard and did a three-hour drive up there and uh, made the trip and came back and and made the three-hour drive back. And and Southwest was everything that I had ever written about it, everything I'd ever bragged about it, everything I'd ever experienced in the past. It was well-run. It was clean. You know, the people seemed genuinely enjoying to be enjoying their jobs, happy to be there. Uh, You know, the trains ran on time. Uh, the food and drink service uh, on one leg that was only 40 minutes was just amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, yeah. they, they, they took care of a 737, I think it was a 737, 700s worth of people on a 40-minute leg. And we were wow. 85%, 90% full. Wow. Uh, yeah, Kansas, the return was Kansas City to, uh, I mean, Louisville, Kentucky to St. Louis. St. Louis to Kansas City. After that, the uh, you know it was like a 45-minute leg followed by a 40-minute leg. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and loving all of this, you know, it's what I always liked about Southwest. It's why I always kind of, you know, lusted after having them in Wichita, which, as I wrote many times in the Eagle, is not likely to happen. And uh, we were on the airplane in St. Louis at, at Lambert waiting to depart for uh, Kansas City when I picked up a copy of Southwest Spirit uh, Seatback Pocket Magazine. Oh, I know where this is going. Yeah, this could get ugly. It's, it's yeah. going to get ugly. Started leafing through, and lo and behold, on, on page 14, there's this Southwest Spirit and it's a nice magazine, you know, as these things go. Say it again, Dave. You broke up there. I'm sorry. Well, it was a South. Uh, they called the feature Southwest Spotlight, and in nope. in in spirit, you know, it's a nice magazine. They do a nice job with it. Uh, and there's this headline: Straight Shot, the future of flying looks simpler. And there's a little route map from Washington D.C. area to Boston area showing how you have to go now, which is basically almost to Canada, according to this, and the optimal route, which, as we all know, is direct. Two points, the shortest distance never changes. Go reading through it, and it's the same old garbage of, that we've been getting from the Air Transport Association. Yeah. About yeah. what a raw deal the airlines are getting and how they could just go direct if it wasn't for all the, you know, those 18,000 business jets. Uh, so, so I did a little checking around. It was very disappointing. On the opposite page was an ad. Uh, big chubby white lady in a blonde bouffant wig and the headline says Edna likes wearing big wigs and the subline says not subsidizing them (laughs) Congress can make corporate jets pay their fair share of taxes and they give us a little chart typical taxes Atlanta to New York passenger plane $1,881 corporate jet $167 and my response is so freaking what (laughs) <laughs> There's five or six people on that corporate jet. They're not imposing a big load on the services because I can just about guarantee you, you know, Atlanta to New York, they're not landing at JFK. They're going to Newark or White Plains. Mm-hmm. And there's 100-plus people on the average passenger plane going into the New York area. So that's 100 people for whom that $1,881 gets spread out. And they want to tax three or four people on a corporate jet many times more on some theory that it's as expensive for them to handle one corporate jet as it is for them to handle uh, an airliner with, you know, hundreds of people on it. That's well, just crap. Let me, let me it ask really you. disappointed me because Southwest stayed out of this uh, the last time around. They were kind of the uh, the low fare carriers that was at, with the legacies at the ATA. Right. Let me ask you a question. Did any of you see... Uh, it was reported yesterday, late at night, but uh, anybody see anything about Blakey's appearance apparently before the Aero Club in Washington earlier this week? No. What when, she, when she told well, the airlines put, they better start minding their schedules before the exactly, did? Exactly. I'm putting up a link to it right now. On uh, I was on five the, minutes uh, getting up off the floor. Yeah, I, I, I was too. Uh, let, me put it, let me click this right quick. And there it is. Okay. Airlines must cut delays or face limits. And this is a story in the Salt, <laughs> in the Salt Lake City Tribune uh, quoting uh, Blakey as saying, airline schedules sometimes are, quote, out of line with reality, unquote, Blakey said Tuesday in a speech to an industry group in Washington. If the carriers aren't ready to address this, Blakey says, 
don't be surprised if the government steps in. You've got schedules that simply can't physically be operated except under the most optimal of circumstances, like you said, of Newark and JFK. We don't have optimal days that often. Um, I, 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 I'm flabbergasted. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, talking for, to somebody for, else earlier today who saw this, and they're like, Blakey said that? No, My first is, reaction is that her parting shot to the, to the airlines on the way out the door? Well, uh, when you think about where she's going, yeah, where she's yeah. going has a position on reauthorization uh, uh-huh. almost completely 180 out of phase with the Air Transport Association uh-huh. and the FAA. And we all know that at the FAA, you know, uh, the administrator, unless they've got extraordinary spine, is never going to break with the talking points that come from the Office of Management and Budget and the White House and the Office of the Secretary of Transportation. That's, you know, what's policy there is what comes out of their mouth and their PR mm-hmm. machine. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're short, you're short. And uh, <laughs> yeah, well, on that on that note, you know, I'm, I'm going to put up another real real quick link here, and I apologize to our listeners who are not following along or who are forced to follow along here. Um, <laughs> it's it's been a long day, a long week for me here on a variety and, and, of issues. And we're but, getting an inordinate amount of link action from yeah. our weakest link. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I will. I will come find you for that one. <laughs> well, I hope um, so. Yeah, the yeah, listeners yeah. should understand well, that Jeb's been slow to embrace this little story list system that well, we use behind the scenes. It's a matter of it's a matter of time and focus. And so and, it's actually and, nice that like, he's using it on the fly like this. Yeah, so anyway, the headline here is: Departing FAA chief comes under fire. Oh yeah, the ATA wasted about a half a breath. Uh, coming out and re, you know rebutting what she said, uh-huh. uh, I, I was like, "Well, no, 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 no. That's not the topic. The topic is it? she's sliding directly from the FAA to her new job, which is uh, become president and CEO of the Aerospace Industries Association." Right, which is uh, does a lot of lobbying, if I remember. It, which does a lot of lobbying, and some of the uh, the watchdog people on, in Washington. Uh, well, here's one. Melanie Sloan, Executive Director of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, good luck with that, uh, says, quote, it raises – I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He's left yeah, the D.C. area, so he's, uh, he's like it's, burning it's bridges to, left and right It's here. hard to imagine a more frustrating job right, than, right. than one that wor- working for that organization in that town. Yeah, here's anyway. This Melanie Sloan is saying, <laughs> "quote It raises some pretty serious ethics questions." Unquote about her uh, her move to AIA directly from uh, from uh, uh, the FAA. Uh, Henry Waxman, uh, uh, representative from from California, says, "quote Under the Bush administration, the revolving door has spun out of control." Quote unquote. Um, so she's she's taking a little bit of heat here on on some of this. Um, it's well, we interesting though. Drill, we know what the drill's going to be. The drill's going to be is she's not going to be up on the hill personally lobbying anybody. Well, exactly right. Exactly for, right. The, you know, the law for so right. long. The, you know the, the the senior vice president of Gucci, you know of, of Gucci will be the guy going up there in the marble halls. <laughs> right. And she'll stay but, back there in the office. And when she bumps into a cocktail party. You know, if something comes up, you can hardly call that lobbying. That's just being social. Well, in the, and we, I think we talked about this in a previous episode where the, the law says, depending on the agency, depending on the individual, it's a year or two years. I forget which. I think it's a year for, for agency officials and in, in two years yeah. maybe for members of Congress. But you can't lobby 
um, the in her case, she can't she can't lobby the agency for which she used to work. Well, right. okay, which just uh, leaves uh, the rest of the federal government, which which leaves the rest of the federal government, the Congress, and everything else, and it leaves the FAA to you know three or four people within AIA who will who have been doing it anyway for however many years. So uh, it, it's not it's not a big deal, but. Um, it's all very curious um, uh, for those you know, again for those who aren't um, haven't been paying attention for for any number of very good reasons I'm sure uh, tomorrow uh, uh, Thursday September 13 is uh, Marion Blakey's last day yeah. as um, the FAA administrator uh, and she's uh, walking out the door and uh, she's throwing a few grenades at uh, at the airlines and uh, she's she's taking a couple back from uh, from some other people so um, it's it's the Washington merry-go-round as uh, Jack Anderson used to call it well maybe we're, we're going to be pleasantly surprised and actually see her back in Oshkosh next summer as a volunteer like she threatened at the at, uh, keep well, keep, you know, yeah. keep reminding our listeners and any, anybody else of that, and, and maybe there will be enough pressure put on her to, in fact, do that. I would love to to see her at Oshkosh next year. Well, if uh, we make it, if we put it in print a couple of places too, you know, by the time Burrell's gleans it from the clips three or four times and it shows up in her morning clippings, uh-huh. uh, it'll actually become something on the radar screen after a while. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, not that I understand how this stuff works, but yeah, not not the not no. You know, it's no secret that we have our differences with with Ms. Blakey. Uh, they're they're professional ones. I have a lot of respect for her and told her so uh, at Oshkosh this year. Uh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be FAA administrator for five years. And uh, you you have to, regardless of what you think about her, the the woman and, and the position she's taken and the water she's carried, you have to you have to kind of give her a little bit of credit for uh, being in that job for five years. And mm-hmm. give uh, her a, a lot of credit for that. Give her a lot of credit for trying to do a lot of good things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think our biggest quibbles come down to a smaller percentage of items, and it's a pity that, that it it had to be you know the, these these small things in the end that. Created well, the greatest ire among I, some of us. I, in turn, would quibble with you on on the relative size of some of those items. Um, I think user <laughs> fees on I think user fees on GA is a fairly significant issue. Did I did it, did I mischaracterize that somehow? Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll refer back to the transcript when it's available. Yeah. How's let, that? Let me let me drag this back to my little airline tirade for a minute. And let it go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There was something that really smacked at me in this. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in both of these pieces, uh, the facing pages, the ad and Edna, you know, the ad with Edna and the text, they made a big deal out of uh, how there were only 1,800 corporate aircraft in service in 1970 when the current system was set up. And today there are 18,000 corporate aircraft. Anyway, government predicts 10,000 more in the next decade. Okay, big whoop. Uh, so I took a look at some numbers from the airline industry in 1969, yeah, yeah. Uh, in 1970, and and today. And uh, 1969, they carried about 160 million passengers. Uh, How many airplanes did they have? Uh, let's see, where did I put that? Uh, they had about 2,400 aircraft in 1969. Uh-huh. Uh, last year. 7,626, and they flew 797 billion revenue passenger miles. 
that's compared to 125 billion in 1969. Mm-hmm. Uh, 744 million passengers versus 160 million back in those years. And uh, by the way, folks, the average airliner flies about, gee, many, 10 to 12 times the average hour, 8 to 12 times the average hours of the average business check. Uh-huh. So don't give us this crap about what an imposition on the system the business jets are when they're in the air a fraction of the time and you guys are out there making gravy directly off the the, the flying public uh, for all that air traffic service you use. What's proportional, what's realistic, what's done in many other industries, many other transportation modes in in the United States and elsewhere is you pay according to weight or you pay according to headcount. And there's nothing more evenly distributing of the tax load than a fuel tax on us because that's per gallon and directly proportional to how much we fly. And the head tax on passengers and that little paltry fuel tax that airlines pay Mm -hmm. uh, for using the system off which they make considerable amounts of money when they have years smart enough to make money. Uh, collectively, that's not a very good track record. Uh, and then you've got carriers like my former old friend Southwest before they started giving us lying crap like this. Uh, somehow or another, your, have managed that's to your make measure, money all find these a hard years when the industry was losing. So uh, don't tell us it couldn't be done those years. Circumstances just conspired. You guys just aren't very good at your businesses, and you want us to pay more for it. And, and for, I, right. for one, say no way. Yeah. 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 And now I'm off my soapbox. Okay. Well. But let me let me add a maybe a leg to that soapbox real quickly, um, and and those of our listeners who uh, uh, have have paid attention to these discussions, uh, and those of you who haven't, you may want to you know skip ahead of a couple of seconds. Um, we're we're getting down to crunch time on the user fees uh, issue, and uh, uh, the FAA authorization legislation in general. Um, from now, well, resetting the stage very quickly, the existing FAA authorization expires at the end of September. Here we are on September 12th. Um, by authorization, we basically mean the budget. Well, the well, authorization not just the budget, is, but the, not just the, the law budget, that allows it to exist. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. All right, so go yeah, ahead. Yeah. It, it will have to be re- redone between now and the end of uh, September, or uh, there won't be any ATC system. There won't be any uh, uh, um, uh, any FAA unless, unless at least, you know, a couple of dates are changed. Uh, but th- those in the industry want to see a wholesale uh, re- revamp of the FAA. They want to see a larger bill. Um, with some some changes in the various programs the FAA uh, uh, is responsible for, um, the FAA and the airlines, of course, want to see uh, user fees of some ilk uh, put into place. Um, the chances are very slim that all of this will be finally resolved by September 30. Again, we'll see an extension of the September 30 date into October, perhaps as as late as into November. Can you um, say continuing resolution? <laughs> 
exactly where I was headed. All of this is going to be folded into what's known as a continuing resolution, which is kind of the um, the big duffel bag, if you will, that Congress throws uh, into which Congress throws all of the the various pieces of legislation they couldn't finish. They couldn't do their jobs during the nine months that they've had. Um, so they they do this little continuing resolution and and uh, uh, kind of hold their nose and and uh, vote for it at the end of the day on the last day of uh, the session before they go back uh, home for two months and couldn't before they come back in January. Not that I'm cynical or jaded or anything else. <laughs> and what a CR does, folks, what a continuing resolution does is basically says, okay, the law that is supposed to expire on September 30, we're going to extend it A, 30 days, B, 60 days, C, 90 days, D, indefinitely until we pass an updated bill at some future date and funding and legal parameters will continue as they have been under the old law, which means budgets don't go up, money doesn't get appropriated for new projects because that's going to come under the new bill. Uh, a lot of things continue to get paid for ATC among them, but a lot of other crap doesn't. A lot of other important stuff doesn't. And uh, uh, it's a shame that it's going to come to this. But Jeb's absolutely right. 18 days to go, the chances of the House and the Senate reconciling their two bills and then both chambers voting approval on the reconciliation. And then uh, the guy, uh, you know, down the street who does everything else with such deliberation, he's got to get around to signing it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd say, you know, uh, you could add this, maybe add this to your Valentine's cards. <laughs> uh, happy Valentine's Day, and thanks for the uh, reauthorization. Signed, yeah. so-and-so. Yeah, the, the weight-challenged woman hasn't warmed up her singing act yet uh, on, <laughs> on, on, on this topic. <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I said, Dave said all the that. Weight and I, I said weight-challenged woman. The weight-challenged woman. We are nothing if not politically correct. Um, yeah, okay. You keep thinking that way. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Online, I'm nothing if not politically correct. All right. Um, at any rate, um, you made me lose my train of thought. So um, hard to do. What I was going to say, though, is that – Put an ad uh, in the paper. Put an ad in the paper looking for train. Um <laughs> is that uh, now's a good time, folks, because we're, we are getting down. Whatever whatever is going to happen is going to happen soon, soon yeah. being within the next 30 to 45 days. Yeah. Uh, now is a good time, even if you have already done so, to email, fax, call, write, um, use By the bat signal. Yeah, use the bat signal to 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 communicate with your members of Congress, your Congress critters, and, and the, make- the bill number that you want to tell them that most of us like. You check most it out of, for yourselves. Yeah, you, this we're is not where we're how leading, to, but how to do this. But right, uh, you make up your own mind. But we think if you look at this and and, and what's been proposed on the Senate side, twenty eight eighty one in the House. HR twenty eight eighty one is the one that keeps the system keeps the system pretty much exactly as it is, except for a little bump in the rates uh, for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. That means that there's money there to pay for the new ITT contract to install ADSB nationwide by they're saying twenty thirteen. 
which is going to be a good thing in the long term. Uh, means there's money there for airport development through the airport improvement program. Uh, means there's money there to hire the number of air traffic controllers. It's still going to take because, folks, automation is only going to go so far because human beings still fly the airplanes. Uh, lots of things. It's important. 2881, make your voice heard. Uh, even if you, like Jeb said, even if you've done it before, uh, don't let them forget that you're watching over their shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one more piece of flesh on that bone. Um, HR 2881 is the House bill, which is different from the Senate bill. I'm not even going to give you the Senate bill number. The Senate bill does we don't have, like it, right? Yeah. The Senate bill does have user fees in it. It has a, basically if you, if you like sleeping with a camel, um, then you should you should like the, the the Senate bill because it allows the camel's nose under your tent. Actually, that, you know that's a popular myth. Camels usually back into tents, which means you get their ass first. Well, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. Well, there goes politically uh, correct right there. There goes politically correct. <laughs> you know, I I tried to take the high road. I tried. I tried. But, Mo- you know, moving on. This doesn't have moving anything right to do with We weren't talking about weight-challenged camels. We were just talking about normal camels. Yeah, yeah. we were talking about camels' asses. Healthy, so, uh, active, non-smoking camels, yes. That's right. Moving on. I don't know exactly where to drop this one into the show. This one's a little bit more somber, um, but I did want to bring it up. And a story that broke um, right after we recorded the previous episode, uh, aviation adventurer Steve Fawcett uh, was reported missing on a... Uh, who knows what kind of flight it was? Because apparently he was just—I don't know—he didn't file a plan. I, was, I mean, it was a very it was a ca- scout. It was a scouting flight. He was going out yeah. to look at dry lake bed sites for his uh, uh, land speed really? record. Really, I hadn't seen yeah. that story. Is that the case? Yeah, that's the case. Yeah, he was flying a, 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 a Balanca decathlon, super decathlon, I believe it was, which yeah, is a super decathlon, a two-seat tandem, uh, high-wing uh, acro- acrobatic, aerobatic, basically uh, an acrobatic Aronka. Yeah, and, right. he de- and he departed from where? Uh, flying uh, in private ranch. strip, private strip near Minden, Nevada. Okay, belongs to the hotel uh, uh, magnate uh, Baron Hilton. Oh, uh, okay. And he has a resort operation there. I so believe. he became overdue, and uh, and uh, yeah. the search and rescue operations were scrambled, and uh, and ongoing, and ongoing as of this moment. But this is now. We're almost ten days later now, right? I mean, it's right. it's it's it, it's yeah. Well, and he had. Uh, an ELT on the airplane, and he had a uh, uh, a watch, a uh, high-end watch he was wearing that right. also had something of an ELT built into it. Right. It's so if, if he ELT yeah, watches. if he was a alive and b wanted to be found, um, he would be able to um, activate one of those. One trans- or both of those. Right. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The CAP, the the military, I didn't, and and uh, I have a I have a pithy comment later on 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 this topic. But a, a lot of people with a lot of resources, both private and public, have been looking for this guy. Have been looking for Steve Fawcett since he went down, and there is no trace of him yet. At least as of you know, last time I checked, news. Yeah, you know, last time I checked was about an hour ago. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get involved with this, you don't have to go to Nevada. That's, That's right. right. There's really uh, kind of an interesting program that you can t- participate in remotely. Go ahead. Right, through Tell Google. us about that. Uh, some f- nice folks uh, at Google, uh, paid satellite 
uh, survey companies for some fresh images of the search area uh, a few days after Fawcett went missing. And uh, those are available through a, a site on, on, on Google, I believe it, Google Earth. Uh, and you can actually search grids through a program that they've got available there. And if you find something that's not been previously flagged, there's a way for you to bring that to the attention of the uh, search and rescue people uh, being coordinated by the Civil Air Patrol. Uh, since the satellite pictures are fresh, uh, you know, presumably if there's anything that was detectable by satellite uh, of Fawcett's uh, presumed crash site, uh, then it should be there. And, you know, I was talking to some friends about this a couple of days ago. They're saying, wow, in an age of satellites and infrared and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, lots of ways to search helicopters and airplanes and, and all this, you'd think they'd find him quickly. I said, you know, all the search technology in the world is great, but it doesn't mean a damn thing until you point it at the exact right spot. Sure. Yeah, that's that was my one of my first reactions to this. People who grew up and you know who live their lives on the East Coast, where the relatively dense population and buildup, don't appreciate how truly how much nowhere there is out there. I mean, oh, and in that that part of the Nevada California border, from uh, b down to Bishop California in the Owens Valley. Yeah, uh, the Owens Valley is a hugely uh, active soaring area for hang glider pilots yeah oh yeah minden's uh, one of the world-class places to go okay. soaring yeah yeah, yeah it really um, and, and, we, and we're talking about some of the most challenging uh uh conditions for soaring hang gliders or sailplanes on the face of the earth uh, this is big air folks this is like 60 foot surf air uh yeah. You know where it, it it can break it can break sailplanes it can break hang glider pilots and, and hang gliders. And that aside, simply flying over this area trying to find something on the ground. Well, there's nothing out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. th well, there's it, nothing it, out there except incredibly steep hills and lots of forests and rocky. A lot and it's of, just a lot huge. of dry lake beds. Yeah. And, it's uh, just a huge area, and it's just it, it was not a surprise to me that that they were having a hard time finding him. Yeah, uh, they, they have been, found several. Uh, uncharted airplane wrecks. Ironically, yeah. yeah. Ironically, yeah. Um, but they have not found anything in the way of a trace of what happened to Steve Fawcett. As an aside, it's it's been a while, but back in in the seventies uh, and eighties, uh, I was I participated with Civil Air Patrol in a variety of different ways, and I have flown a handful of actual SAR missions uh, uh, with the Civil Air Patrol. And even when you're low and slow, and even when you're not even flying the airplane, it is incredibly difficult to see something on the ground and identify it as you're passing over it, you know, 70 or 80 knots, yeah. um, much less see everything that is down there because you blink your eyes, you, you look around, you, you scan, there is no way that you can fly over a specific area uh, at a specific time and reasonably be expected to have seen everything below you. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot more difficult than, than you would tend to imagine. Yeah, it's just uh, incredibly... People who, have, people who have not flown low and slow, I mean, I come from the hang gliding and ultralight community where, you know, if, if I flew an ultralight cross-country at 2,000 feet, 
you know, I felt like I was in danger of contracting nosebleed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's just not where we flew those things. Right. You didn't see the landscape. You're going, you know, you're going 40 knots, 45 knots. Uh, you know, you're down where you can actually appreciate the things on the ground as you go by. And uh, even down there at those airspeeds, there was a lot that you, you could very easily miss yeah. Uh, yeah. overlook because you can't be looking in all directions all the time. Uh, you know, the CAP mission airplane typically carries a pilot and two observers. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody that's able to, you know, devote their eyeballs to both, you know, some side of the airplane. Uh, it's tough stuff. And that area between Reno and in Reno, Nevada and Bishop, California. That's that's just, that's, that's, yes, yeah. That, yeah, that's moonscape stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I so, uh, never flew hang gliders out there. I, I looked at that I've looked at that from the air and from the ground and gone, I'm sorry, but I, 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 I don't wear a jock strap big enough to do this. <laughs> well, I, I have flown, and Davey, you've flown with me over some of that territory, at least in the yes, southern part of California, New Mexico, and, and Arizona, into Texas. And, and um, I'm I, droning along at, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15,000 feet, and you're looking down, and you say, wow, you know, I, I hope Continental really knew what they were doing when they built this engine. Um, because I would not <laughs> want to be on the ground down there yeah. uh, at I've all. Been in, I've been in f over stretches of uh, yeah. Wyoming and, and uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Idaho and uh, Utah, uh, Colorado, uh, out to Nevada, New Mexico. Uh, you know, there are stretches out there in the desert of New Mexico and, and, and Arizona where from – 12, 13,000 feet, you're only four or 5,000 feet above the landscape. Well, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and from there, it's not too hard to pick up on the idea that those little bitty shadows that you see in cast by a slightly angled sun are going to be really freaking big rocks if you have to go down there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and you kind of, kind of pat the, pat the old bird on the glare shield, and say, "Good girl, you can good do girl. it. You can do it." And well, have you flown over over water? Yeah, to places like the Caymans. Yeah, and uh -huh. back. I got to tell you, water is less scary. And some right. parts of the, the some I, parts I agree. Of the West. Uh, and Dave, you remember that time we flew out to Vegas in tandem, your airplane yep. and my airplane. Yep. And, and we uh, we stopped in in uh, Albuquerque at Double Eagle, right, uh, to get gas and and motor on our way to, to Vegas. And we'd and already come across some pretty gnarly. We, we, and we'd already come across some very gnarly stuff between between uh, Albuquerque and, and uh, Wichita. But I remember you're saying something like, "Damn, you know, I got to climb all the way back up to twelve five after after here," and my comment was, "Well, hey, you're halfway there already, man. You're at sixty two fifty, you know, now here here in Albuquerque, and and you know, it, it's that those those of us who are East Coasters, and I I consider myself an East Coast pilot. Sure. Um, those of us who are, who are East Coast pilots, you know, we don't think about." That kind of terrain to us, and you know, getting it getting lost is which which exit is next, you know, on the interstate. Yeah. Uh, and, and it should have stuck in my throat because I did my dual and solo cross countries from uh, Wichita to Hayes, Kansas, uh -huh. to Goodland, Kansas, to Loveland, uh -huh. Fort Collins, Colorado, and back the same day. Yeah, yeah, in wow. a Cherokee. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to see if I could do 1,100 miles in a day. And I figured August was the worst it could ever be in terms of trying to control the airplane on the return flight, you know, mid-afternoon after everything's warmed up really big. Uh, but, you know, it, the, the landing was higher at Hayes than where I took off and higher at Goodland than Hayes and higher at Loveland Fort Collins. And uh, basically, when I left Loveland Fort Collins, I went back to uh, uh, 9,500 feet, which put me about 4,000 feet above the terrain. Yeah, yeah. And and, and tried to stay there. Yep. Uh, it was the first time in my life I'd had a controller because I was on flight following, even as a student pilot. Somebody had convinced me of the wisdom of flight following on a long cross-country like that. And uh, first time a, a controller introduced me to the term box, as in uh, 803-8 November, uh, you're, you're about 1,500 high right now, uh, and you were 1,000 low a few minutes ago. Would you like a box? <laughs> <laughs> and my first reaction was, I don't have a bag to throw up in. A box would be great right about now. <laughs> Because she uh, she was right. In about a minute, we'd had a 2,500 foot altitude transgression that I had no control over. Will it fit through the storm window? That's right. <laughs> well, let's let's move along here. It's, but it does. I, I want to put this in the show notes because it suddenly occurs to me. I'm remembering that one of our fellow aviation podcasters did an interview some time ago with a uh, um, someone from CAP um, talking about ways to increase the chances that you'll be found if you have to land out in the middle of nowhere. Sure, sure. And uh, I'm going to dig this out. I, I think it was Jason Miller of the Finer Points. It might have been Steve Tupper of Airspeed Online. But whichever it was, I'll dig it out and I'll put a link to it in the uh, in the show notes. And I, I'd encourage people to go. I'm going to go back and listen to this again and uh, yeah. and, and refresh my memory about some of well, these tips on how to make sure that you uh, – or how to increase the chances that you're going to get found. Yeah, sure. And the whole topic of what to carry – and and what to equip yourself with and and how to dress and and uh what not to take with you and and things like that is is one that uh, uh a lot of people have spent a lot of time on over the years and it continue to argue about it and continue to uh uh have differences of opinion the technology changes as we go through and uh yeah. uh there there's uh, there's always a need for uh, for thinking about what you would do, how you would do it, with what tools and equipment you would do it, if you had to spend you know a week or so on the side of a mountain somewhere. Yeah. Well, and there uh, are even people who advocate for not flying long, long cross countries unless you're equipped at least to spend 36 hours down somewhere. That's right. You know, even in the as you, as Jack so aptly put it, the you know the higher density population uh, uh, area of the East Coast, there are still sections there where you could find yourself isolated, out of touch, mm-hmm. and uh, undiscovered for a couple of days, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, very easily. Yeah, and I was and that's also not even getting into what would happen if you went into the water. On All a right. more on a more positive note, kind of bringing this thing back around to to the to the, the good stuff about flying uh, is uh, Dave. You put put in the blog some interesting stuff about uh, uh, your your exploration exploration into the subject of low priced airplanes. Yeah, you know I I, I got to confess, I, you know I, I had a mini snap. Okay, I heard an argument that I knew to be bogus. 
or a contention that I knew to be bogus. Just one too many times, and I started to short circuit. So I went to my trusty, reliable Bible source, which in this case is the uh, edition of Trader Plane that the company handed out at Oshkosh this year. Uh-huh. And this is what I found in 15 minutes, 15 minutes, okay, of browsing in the way of affordable airplanes. Now, caveat here, we're not talking about state-of-the-art, IFR, high-altitude, cross-country machines. We're talking about airplanes that will teach you to fly, let you fly, enjoy decent cross-country or recreational flying. It'll get you into the air and let you decide whether you want to stay there and have enough value if you decide you want to move up to get a lot of your money back out of it when it comes time to sell. Yeah. So okay, here find? we go. 1945 Piper Cub J3. Mm-hmm. Uh, fully restored $40,000. Mm-hmm. Think about that folks. Uh, the equivalent in an LSA right now starts at about 90. Right. Uh, a 1940 J3 uh, kept in good shape, not fully restored, not recently updated. $29,900. Now that's nice for the, you know, the, the, the pseudo bush plane, low and slow, light sport aircraft category. Now let's move into the realm of something that's actually got some practical travel applications. And I'm talking about Cherokees and 172 Skyhawks. 1970 Piper Cherokee 140C. IFR 29.9. Wow, that's a good a solid 69, air. A 69 140B. I had a 69 140B for two years. I'll get into that more a little bit later. 27,500. Uh, another 60 140B. Uh, you know, okay paint, decent numbers, uh, 28,000. Uh, 1969 Cessna Skyhawk. $29,000. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, these are these are airworthy. Uh, most of them IFR airplanes. I uh, came across a 1961 Piper Comanche 180, of which I'm intimately familiar from eight years' ownership, $42,500. Now, we're talking about uh, a relatively decent, low-cost cross-country airplane for $42,000. Very, very economical. Very economical. We're talking about a 10-gallon-an-hour, 135-knot airplane that will carry, honestly, four people and a little bit of luggage. Uh, getting back into some classics. A 1947 Stinson 1082, 33,000. Uh, wow. An even more classic airplane, a Taylor Craft BC-120 with a 65-horse, $17,900. That's great. For, for our that, listeners that is, who are... That is wonderful, wonderful grassroots flying that you build time in. And if you keep it airworthy, fly it for two or three years and sell it, you will get your money back, yeah. maybe a little more. For our listeners who are not familiar with used airplanes and how it all works and, 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 and perhaps are only familiar with used cars um, and are thinking, my God, a 1940 airplane... Um, it, Airplanes hold their airworthiness way better than cars hold their roadworthiness. That's and, right. And there's absolutely, absolutely no reason to, ex- to not to expect that a 1940-era airplane that's been taken care of is a perfectly safe and, and great airplane. 
And those are classics, three, too. Those are I got great three more ones. quick ones on my go list ahead. here, no, and no, we can ahead. digress. Uh, in 1942, Taylor Craft delivered as an L2 bird dog during World War II. This is a war bird, folks. Yeah. $31,000. And in a couple of beach B-23s, a 1965 for 21, a 63 for 23, and then 63 is IFR. Uh, folks, there's a dozen airplanes there from about 40,000 down to 17.9 in which you can make your aviation bones. You can get your aviation fix. You can start to learn the intricacies, decide what kind of flying you want to do. There's some airplanes there, about half of them that are worthwhile for light cross-country to moderate cross-country work. Mm-hmm. I mean, hey, face it, man, 125 miles an hour is still two times to two and a half times faster than the average speed you're going to make on the interstate. That's right. Yeah. And, you and, can, the gas, and, and the gas mileage isn't all that much different. And and you can get financing on these airplanes, right? It's not like you need... You know, you oh, can get financing for this category, for these category of, of, of airplanes. This this range that I, I I've read here, and all these were real ads in in the third issue of July Trade Plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, financing from ten to fifteen to twenty years uh, at competitive interest rates. Here I'm talking seven to eight percent in a lot of cases, nine percent uh, maybe for some of the really cheap ones because you know let's face it they're not going to make a hell of a lot of money financing a seventeen thousand dollar airplane for 10 years we're talking about airplanes here where in essence you're talking about 400 to 425 bucks a month for the cost of ownership with insurance and and a reasonable tie down fee uh that just beats the hell out of spending 65 75 dollars an hour to rent the equivalent in an old airplane because $75 an hour these days doesn't get you a new 172 with a G1000 panel on it. Yeah. That's great. Uh, That's great. Yeah. So, 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 so for so, where, where does one air. find a copy of Trade Plane? Where, where can you pick up one of those? You can no, pick up no. a copy of Trade Plane almost any FBO in the country uh, at a lot of bookstores, uh, <laughs> aviation shops. You can go to Trade Plane. Uh, is it t- trade a plane or tap.com? Well, it's, it's weather tap, but I think it's oh, that's right. You're right. You're right. Tradeaplane.com. Uh, you know, subscri- subscriptions. It's not the cheapest paper you're ever going to buy, but it's one of the <laughs> most comprehensive airplane shopping sites that you could ever find. They publish three editions a month, yeah. and it is 100% advertising <clears throat> about airplanes. Yeah. Uh, stuff that you can rebuild, stuff you can upgrade with, uh, but the middle half of it is classified ads for airplanes for sale. And anybody with the serious will, and I'm talking about the serious will, not the casual, oh, it's always something I thought it'd be fun to do. Yeah, well, okay. Yep. When you get around to it and you can make time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for the guy that flew, the, the lady that got a sample flight and just has been bit but convinced by all the scuttlebutt they've heard that it's just too bloody expensive and not in their lifetime could they afford it. I'm here to tell you, for a lot less money than even a decent uh, uh, new compact car on a monthly basis, you can be flying yourself on some damn nice trips 
getting engaged with a great population of people, visiting some sites that you'd never hit to onto the interstate, uh, and having a wonderful time in a way that's just beyond compare. It's unique. That's great, Dave. Thanks. I think you've invented a new feature here. I think we're going to call this the budget bird of the week. How's that? <laughs> okay. I'll keep big, my eyes open. Every now and then we'll find every now and then we'll find a really interesting looking airplane that's uh, very affordable, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. I think that would be interesting. And uh, and, the, and the website is is www.trade-a-plane.com. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. De- uh, De- Jabs, what's the story about Australia here? What's going on? Oh, uh, well, um, there's been a, a big meeting in Australia the last few days uh, called, uh, let me back up here, called APEC. And I've, I don't recall what APEC stands for. I think it's like uh, Asian Pacific Economic uh, uh, Co-op, yeah, something thing. like that. There's, there, 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 was, there have been a few hiccups if we will, uh, uh, with with security there. Um, most recently, um, uh, there was a uh, a guy in a Skymaster, an Australian uh, uh, pilot flying a Skymaster, who apparently wandered in to what is called the APEC Exclusion Zone. I'm sorry, APEC stands for Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation. Yeah, right. I was right. Um, and w- wandered into this exclusion zone somewhere over uh, uh, Sydney or whatever, wherever it is in in, uh, in Australia, and was <laughs> greeted by well, was greeted by two FA eighteen Hornets scrambled uh, to intercept him and firing flares and you know, all of this kind of thing, and it just it just reminded me so vividly of. Uh, the post nine eleven nonsense here in the U.S. about uh, GA aircraft, and it still goes on. You know the Washington Aids and various yeah, TFRs right. and and whatnot. I'm you know our, 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 I feel sad for our our friends down under in Australia who have to deal with this, but um, at least you know now they have a uh, an up close and personal look at what we've had to deal with here for six years. Yeah, I got to poke a little fun at this. Okay. Yeah, go okay, ahead. This, this was uh, uh, National 9E News, as, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald. That's the newspaper at fault here. Okay. The, uh, and I know where you're headed. Go ahead. Yeah. The, an amateur pilot got into the fright uh, that's, of his that, life that's yesterday the first, afternoon. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. That's the first jumping off point for me. I've uh-huh. never uh, – amateur? What does that mean? What does that mean? Is it a hobby uh, pilot? Yeah, I, that one that one got my hair up. But then yeah. we go yeah, on I don't, when two F A eighteen Hornet fighter jets were scrambled to intercept his single seater aircraft right. after he strayed into the Apex air exclusion zone. And then it goes on the tiny Cessna three thirty seven. I got to tell you, uh, I've been in a three thirty seven. Uh, I didn't sit in anybody's lap, and I wasn't PIC. Uh, <laughs> In other words, it's yeah. not a tiny airplane. Well, well it's, it's definitely not, it's not, not a, a single seater either. Yeah, it's not a single seater either. There would okay. be four, four, five, or six seats, maybe seven. And it had to really confuse the reporter because it looked like it ought to be a single-engine aircraft, but there's one on the back. What is yeah. that? The spare? It had to be. Oh, a three, it's like three, the old Volkswagen Beetle. I can't find the engine up front. That's okay. You got a spare in the back. That's right. <laughs> 
So, okay. <laughs> what a mess. Amateur pilot. Uh, you know, I... Uh, well, in fairness, is it possible that amateur pilot is a designation in Australia that's just an odd use of word, like the way we use the word experiment? Well, I think there may be, I think there may be uh, 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 something lost in translation yeah, here. Right. Uh, you know, they're, am- they're, they're saying an amateur pilot was their way of giving a nod to Qantas and a couple of the others to say it wasn't one of their pilots. That's right. I, what they should have said was a non-professional pilot. And just a private pilot would do just, Or just a private pilot, that's right. Yeah. Or a non-commercial pilot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shout-outs, what's going on? Any, anything you want to, want to uh, call attention to before we finish up here? I do. Uh, uh, today is the first day of the Reno Air Races. Uh, and, uh, that's right. It, There's yes. already been one accident out there. There was a biplane that crashed on takeoff. I hadn't heard that. No, but, uh, yeah, I came, came across uh, earlier yeah, today. I'm or, sure they've been pri- – was it today? or It was today. Yeah, okay. Crashed on takeoff, engine failure, something like that. I don't recall the fate of the pilot. Uh-huh. Most of them are, are – I mean, they're pretty dramatic, but they've got great procedures for, for getting people uh-huh. on the ground and uh, – you know, dealing with those kinds of things. So I would tend to be optimistic about that, but yeah, yeah. interested to see what what happened there. Um, I, in in response to my uh, my call last week and the couple, and the week before that, I've gotten three or four now listeners who have stepped up and uh, telling me that they're going to be out there. And now I'm trying. Now that I've got people, I'm now faced with the logistics of trying to figure out exactly how to get them into the virtual hangar. And so I'm still wrestling with that. Uh, but I thank the people who did uh, give us a call, and I'm trying to figure it out, and we'll see what happens. But uh, thank you, cool. thank you for your feedback. And and if if I don't manage to kind of put something together where you come into the virtual hangar live, we certainly would love to hear from you on the listener line or send us an email about your experience at, at the Reno Air Races this year. What else? Absolutely. I yeah, can't really. That, is that it? Huh? <laughs> I had something in mind and I misplaced it. Uh huh. <laughs> No punchline. Well, now I'm frantically looking for the little my notes here to how to, how to end the podcast. So I thought you guys were going to talk for a little while, and I had time to find them. But uh, Aronka, 1941 Aronka Super Chief, 523 hours since major overhaul, 2,281 hours total time, handheld radio and intercom, polyfiber covering with polytone paint, Continental A75 engine, asking $19,000. My That's God. Good. That's, that's fabulous. Some good airplanes yeah. out there. Yeah, that's in California. That's a current ad on Trader Plane. Well, thank you, boys. Uh, it was fun. And uh, Jeb, you can learn more about Jeb and his work at uh, jebburnside.com, also aviationsafetymagazine.com and avweb.com. Dave is at davehigdon.com. I am at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And you can check in with all of us at the blog uh, and uh, get the number for the listener line and the email address for sending us feedback at uncontrolledairspace.com. So that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.